Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today we are going to be um, having Dr. Braxton Hunter on to talk about a super-duper important topic, a topic that's been covered by a lot of people um, from different angles. Of course, um, those who have other apologetics YouTube channels cover this topic um, all the time. Perhaps I'm late to the game to, to discuss this. I, I don't normally discuss it um, on a public format like this, but I have had many conversations with folks about this topic. Um, but um, I'm excited to have uh, Braxton Hunter on because he's a sharp guy and he has um, some pretty good things to say on this topic. And we'll hear a little bit of his background um, experience in this area. So uh, the title of the episode is Can Christians Struggle with Homosexuality? I guess it kind of sounds like a, a weird, obvious question. I mean, for me, at least it, it's an obvious yes. But really, the the um, the purpose of this episode is not so much to answer that question in like a yes or no and then be done with it, but rather to address it from the perspective of suppose you are a Christian and you are struggling with um, same sex attractions. You know, how might you navigate that sort of situation? And it's 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 difficult. It's challenging. And um, there are a lot of pressures, both from within the family situation, the friend situation, uh, the church situation. And so um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And hopefully um, uh, Dr. Hunter can, I'm not going to be calling him Dr. Hunter the entire time, by the way, he's a good friend of mine. So I, I'm going to revert back to, to Braxton uh, once I get him on. But um, hopefully, um, hopefully uh, Braxton will have some helpful things to say. Otherwise, you know, we'll end it short and I'll apologize for having him on if he messes it up. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, but real quick, let me introduce um, uh, Dr. Braxton Hunter. He is the uh, president of Trinity Bible of the College and Theological Seminary, which is, and he can correct me if I'm mistaken here, it is a Bible college and seminary that one can um, take courses online. So I think it's completely online um, and you can take classes and there's um, a whole bunch of uh, different professors from different perspectives, which I very much appreciate, who offer classes and you can get uh, degrees there and get your theological education, Bible education there. Um, and so um, I know some of the, the folks on staff and they're great guys. Even the guys I may disagree with on certain points, they're still very sharp and have very helpful things to say. And so I would I would imagine someone would greatly benefit from an education there. So you might want to check that out. Uh, once again, that is Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Uh, Braxton Hunter is the president there. He is also a Christian apologist, and um, he's engaged in some pretty awesome debates. Uh, I, I, I think one debate that I think folks should really check out is his debate with Matt Dillahunty, um, who I'm sure folks who are in the apologetics game, those who run in these circles, right, uh, will definitely know who Matt Dillahunty is. And uh, from a presuppositionalist perspective, and of course, Braxton being a classical apologist, I was leaping for joy as to how wonderful he did. Uh, despite our apologetic methodological differences, I think he knocked it out of the park uh, in that discussion. And so um, I'm really excited to have uh, Braxton Hunter on today. Let me uh, bring him on the screen with me and he can share a little bit about his YouTube channel and what he does there. And definitely if you have not heard of, and you probably already have, but if you haven't heard of Trinity Radio, uh, the YouTube channel, you definitely want to check out that channel and subscribe. All right. So how's it going, Braxton? Thank you so much for making the time hey. to, uh, to join me, man. Eli, thank you so much for having me on the great Revealed Apologetics channel. Oh, stop. <laughs> I'm joining the ranks of John Walton and Jason Lyle and who knows how many others. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, I'm glad to have you on, man, because um, 
I here here's one of the reasons uh, why I wanted to have you on is the topic. I think you shared with me um, kind of an experience you had with a friend of yours who had a similar kind of uh, issue with homosexuality and things like that. And I didn't want to invite like not to say that you're not a scholar. You definitely are a very scholarly. You're very uh, intelligent. You're really good at what you do, um, both in teaching and just doing apologetics. But because I consider you a friend, um, I thought that the context of a friendly, organic conversation would benefit people more than um, than if I just had some guy, you know, list a bunch of facts and statistics with respect to this um, this topic. So um, it is it is a great joy to have you on uh, for that purpose. I, I'm I'm sure we're going to enjoy this conversation. Well, thanks so much. And um, I, I just want to say something about you and this channel. Sure. It is true that while we differ on apologetic methodology and on maybe um, on issues related to soteriology, uh, this is a great apologetic resource. I mention it on our show at Trinity Radio all the time. And uh, I say that you are the best, I think, for people that want to learn how to do presuppositional apologetics, which we teach here at Trinity as well. And um and so uh, it's it's an honor. To, and, and I'll tell you something. I'll bet your audience would agree. Maybe they can let you know in the comments. Your interviewing ability and, and the, the way you interview people has gotten so good since you started. I mean, you are just an excellent <laughs> interviewer. You know, the, the interviews can be so boring, but you sure. make them exciting and engaging. Sure. Well, I very much appreciate that. So, someone actually called me the brown Justin Brierly. <laughs> there you I was go. like, I'll take it. <laughs> Justin Brierly is the white Eli Ayala. How's that? <laughs> That's right. Well, I, that very that means a lot. That means a lot to me uh, coming from you. And hopefully, this uh, interview will not be boring. So, right. um, so real quick, got a, a quick super chat towards the beginning. A former student of mine, uh, Glastine Russell, gave a five dollars super chat. Thank you so much. He says, "Hey, Mr. Ayala, we all miss you so much. Send all the blessing and nothing but happiness for you and your family." Well, thank you so much. Glastine. She was a former student of mine, excellent student, deep thinker. And uh, it is it was such a blessing to have her as a student. So thank you so much for that, Glastine. All right. Well, let's jump right into the topic. Now, I'm going to begin by um, asking the question that was on the thumbnail. And you could answer yes or no. And then we'll take it from there, because really, it's just a springboard for getting into a deeper uh, discussion. So <laughs> uh, the, the title of this episode was Can Christians Struggle with Homosexuality? What, what, what do you think? Well, I actually hadn't considered a direct answer to the title until you just now asked me. So off the top of my head, I would say yes in a number of different ways. Uh, first of all, and probably most controversial among Christians is, can a Christian struggle with same-sex attraction? Now, my answer to that is yes, and we'll get into exactly why that is um, maybe as we move on. Sure. Um, I also think it's the case that a Christian can struggle with homosexuality in, in, the, same, in the sense that they may have a family member or a friend who's dealing with this sort of uh, with that sort of attraction and is dealing with how am I supposed to engage with this as a believer? What am I supposed to say? And in that sense, it's a struggle, even though they're not personally experiencing it. We could also say in a much grander sense, the church is struggling with homosexuality, not in the sense that we don't know where we stand on it. Although if you listen to what some churches say, it certainly sounds like they don't know where they stand on it, no. but rather um, because probably uh, one of the most um, unappealing aspects of the evangelical church or the Christian church, whatever, in America today is, 
our position on human sexuality because it is not at all following the cultural narrative, as you know. And so in that sense, the church struggles with homosexuality in that way. But I think probably for what we're doing here, what you're most interested in, Eli, is getting to that uh, very personal question of can a person who is an individual uh, in the community who is a Christian or at least is a professing Christian, now let's say who they really are, a born-again, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled Christian, can they at times struggle with same-sex attraction? And as I say, that's probably the most controversial issue to discuss, but I say yes. Okay. And, uh, okay, so... so, um Okay, so you have someone who's a Christian, spirit-filled, loves the Lord, and is struggling with same-sex attraction. How do we navigate that? Because I would imagine that introspectively, the person's thinking like, well, wait a minute, I love God. Why am I struggling with this? I mean, is it the case that God made me this way? How does one navigate those sorts of things? Perhaps a Christian who is not very much familiar with some of the deeper things of Scripture. Um, Maybe they know what the Bible says about homosexuality, but then they kind of say, well, maybe God made me this way. How would you, or what kind of advice would you give to someone who is asking those sorts of questions introspectively and kind of wondering like, hey, what's going on with with, with, with how I'm feeling? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say as we begin this, and this will be a caveat, um, there are some Christians who would not want me to say this the way I'm going to say it. And if okay. you disagree with how I'm stating this, it's your show and you feel free to follow your convictions there, Eli, sure. and I know you will. But sure. I'm not going to be one of those people that that thinks that every time we talk about this issue, we have to apologize anew for things that that the church has done in the past. Although I will say on this issue that um, that my heart goes out to people who struggle, uh, who who are uh, wanting to affirm a, a Bible believing Christianity and and have placed their faith in Christ and yet are struggling with same sex attraction. My heart goes out to anyone who is struggling with same sex attraction, and that's because. Number one, I don't know what you're going through. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I, I I know it in terms of the propositions. I understand what's being said, right? But I don't have the experience of having gone through it. I've never experienced same-sex attraction. And in fact, I uh, the, the uh, propensities that I have, the desires that I have, um, can be fulfilled in a biblical marriage as I think that, that God intends. And so in a certain sense, people who are struggling with this particular sin issue are facing something that I don't have to face. And I just want to say to you listening, if you're someone who is struggling with this, or you have a friend who is, or a family member or a child, um, I I don't know what you're going through. I I don't, from an experience perspective, I don't know what you're going through. You have a unique experience. And so my heart goes out to you that you are struggling with this. And um, while obviously you're going to hear us say in this in this uh, video that we do believe that um, homosexual activity is unbiblical and therefore sinful. Um, That doesn't mean that the fact that you might have an inclination means that you're engaging in sin just for having that inclination. We can get into that more as we say that to say, while that is that much is definitely true. I don't want to add to your struggle. Now in one sense, it's going to sound like, of course you're adding to my struggle. You're affirming that what the Bible says about this is true and that it's sinful uh, to engage in homosexual activity. And yes, that's right. And I can't I'm not going to apologize for the Bible, but I am going to say I want you to find in people like me and Eli, someone who loves you, people who care about you and uh, people who are not trying to be condescending either. We've got our own issues. It may not be this particular issue. We've got our own issues and none of us are perfect. Now, to the direct question that you just asked, Eli, and I know I'm kind of rambling here, but to the direct question that you just asked, I would say, um, 
did God make me this way? No. Now, did God create knowing that this might happen to you, that you would end up having these attractions? Yes, because God knows all things, past, present, and future. Um, God has what we what we call omniscience in theology. He knows all things. Uh, but having said that, we live in a fallen world. Uh, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, it talks about um, what happened in the garden as a result of Adam and Eve. Um, however you understand that story, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree, and as a result, creation fell. And then you run to Romans chapter 8, it affirms that. And so the truth about this is, the world is not as God would have it to be. That doesn't mean God doesn't value you just the same for sins that you might experience or me for sins that I experience um, and, and mistakes that I made. He loves us um, all, all the same. But the reality is he, this is not the perfect design that God had in the garden. The garden was the prototype for perfect creation. It was perfect creation. And one day it will be that way again. But people are born with all kinds of uh, proclivities, tendencies, temptations. And while I don't know whether or not, um, you know, a lot of Christians want to say there's no evidence or, or the science isn't there to say that people are born with a genetic predisposition to homosexuality. I'm not one. I'm not a scientist. I don't know about that. But I'm cautious to say if that is, if that does turn out to be the case. It, it wouldn't surprise me, and it doesn't mean that God made you that way or that it's okay to engage in those kinds of activities. So to sum all up, um, I just want to say on this point that we love you, we care about you. I understand that from your perspective, it may not sound that way. It may seem like we're adding more baggage. We do not want to be that for you to you, and we don't want to sound condescending because we've got our own baggage. And in the end, we live in a fallen world. And so, no, God did not make you this way. This is the result of the sin of man. Um, and so I think that kind of is a lengthy answer that also gives a preamble to the discussion. For sure. Me. Sure. Okay. So there are a couple of things that, that pop in my head that I, I think, uh, perhaps we're, we, we can speak to someone who's struggling with this and knows the scriptures very well. And so a uh, passage is like, uh, that in Romans where it talks about, um, men, uh, burning after, uh, other men, right. Burning and lust after other men. And it speaks about, um, kind of this homosexual proclivity as kind of a judgment by God. Um, but what about the person who's like, well, wait a minute. Well, I love the Lord and it, yes, there's sin in the world, but, but I'm, I desire to follow God. Why am I experiencing this? Is this the, somehow the wrath of God on my life that I have to deal with this? Like what's, what's going on? How would you navigate that question? What I would say about Romans chapter one is a couple of things. First of all, uh, this is not the point you were driving at, but I would say that for anyone who thinks, uh, who wants to make a case and there are those people Mm -hmm. um, who claim that the Bible does is not um, condemning of uh, monogamous same-sex relationships like that. Those can be they they want to say those can be healthy relationships. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Um, there, there. I think that the Romans chapter one passage is one of the most difficult ones to deal with because it doesn't specify the nature of the relationship there. It specifies the act itself okay. and and for men and women. So I think that that that's when you come to that passage, the first thing that goes through my mind is if you're struggling with this, it's going to be very easy for you or, or tempting for you to be drawn to resources that might want to make the Bible okay with this. And um, it's it's not okay. Um, God loves you. God cares, right? But but it doesn't mean that it's okay. Now, uh, to that end, just because, just because something can be a hardening or a judgment or something like that in for some people, it doesn't mean that when every individual person experiences that, that that's necessarily why they're experiencing that. Okay. Um, 
there would be disagreement probably with some people from certain traditions on that issue. Uh, some people die because of a judgment, right? But that doesn't mean that everyone that dies is dying because of a particular judgment on their life. Sure. So I think that might be an important thing to mention there. So, so you're saying, so so that's, a, that's actually a great point um, that everyone dies, but the death of every person is not necessarily a judgment. But a specific in a sense, judgment. Now, in one sense, it is a judgment right. because death is a judgment on mankind, that's but right. not a specific judgment on their life for something that they did. That would be an important. Yeah. So, so uh, one of them, the person throws up there. Okay, so fine. This might not be a specific judgment because I, I know myself, I love the Lord. I want to do what's right, but I'm struggling with this same sex attraction sort of thing. Um, if it's not God's like judgment, then what is it? Like, why am I experiencing this? You know, so I could picture someone kind of struggling uh, with it from that perspective. How, how would you speak to that? I think that is a question I would absolutely have if, if that was my issue. And I think uh, what I would say to that is, well, again, God, I don't think that God I don't think that homosexual or same sex attraction is is a part of God's perfect design, uh, what God ultimately wants. Um, and I, I realize, trust me, I realize how everything I'm saying sounds so offensive to someone who's struggling with this. Sure. Um, I, but it doesn't mean that, that um, I mean, look, we're all broken people. Again, we all have our issues. Uh, none of us, my baldness doesn't reflect God's, God's design. Right. So, um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, um, I, I would say that, that uh, it could be certainly God, certainly God knows that you will experience that. And it may well be that though that is the result of living in a fallen world, uh, it could be that God recognizes this particular person is the type of person that I think um, is uh, will be a person who can handle this particular struggle hmm. and and live victoriously in me. Um, and Wait, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you there. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting an interesting point you made there. So, are you saying that God will allow certain believers? to have certain weaknesses and proclivities as a way to, as part of their sanctification and fulfilling a purpose, yeah. a broader purpose. So for example, um, you know, I can say, why am I so, I mean, I love Jesus, but why am I so addicted to drugs? That might be one of the things that like, well, because God wants to glorify himself by using someone like me allow me to go through these struggles and then bring me out and minister to people who have similar struggles. Is that the same? Is that something along the lines of what you're saying, but, but kind of uh, transposing it on the issue of homosexuality? Yeah. Well, let's, I think a cleaner example would be to take something that is not something that someone um, necessarily addicted themselves to like, like drugs or something, but sure. um, perhaps someone has a propensity for anger issues. Now, again, I want to say if anyone that's dealing with homosexuality, I'm not equating homosexuality with other individual sins. Okay. Mm -hmm. So don't think, Oh, you're saying I'm like someone who is an alcoholic or something like that. Um, each sin is a little bit different. Uh, but the, but the fact is there are some people who are born with a propensity toward to, to anger. You know, people are more likely to be angry and therefore it could be more likely to become violent. Um, God may have allowed that to happen. It doesn't reflect God's perfect design, sure. uh, but God may have allowed that to happen because in, in overcoming that, uh, that is a great demonstration of God's glory in the person's life. Hmm. All right. So, well, that, that, that's a very, very interesting practical look at the issue because I mean, from a Christian perspective, even when we struggle with anything other you know, it doesn't have to be homosexuality or, or whatever, I think it's important. I guess I, get, I guess I'm jumping ahead of the discussion, but a piece of advice to give someone is to is to encourage them to see the world um, in such a way that uh, God has purposes, right? 
that that there's uh, that that God can in other words seeing the world through the lens of of God's uh, spectacle, so to speak, right? Seeing God in everything. So, so that when I struggle with something as a Christian, I can say, how could I honor God in this struggle? How could I honor God in, you know, whatever the struggle may be? Is that something you might encourage uh, someone? Who, Absolutely. Who, yes. Okay. We should seek to glorify God and we should look where God is at work. Now, again, okay. um, I don't think that God, I don't, again, I want to say it this way. I don't think that, that it's got that what God, um, the design that God produced for us in the garden originally is reflected in our imperfections, but I do think that God can redeem things in our lives okay. or allow those and then redeem them for, for his purpose. And perhaps it's a moment like this. I, I can imagine some Christians out there in the, um, in the audience or, or who might see this later, who would say, well, hold on a second. Um, I thought that when you got saved, when you became a Christian, that God would just take that off of someone so that a homosexual person, if they still experience same sex attraction, well, then, then obviously they're not, you know, in Christ or something. And I think this might be a good moment to address that biblically, unless you have a particular outline you want to go with. Yeah, no, go for it. Why don't you address that? I think that's an important point. Yeah. So we've talked about one of the biblical passages in the New Testament where Paul addresses homosexuality, but um, I'd like to turn the attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. This is another well-known passage that deals with this, and it's again Paul and, and I really want people to listen. Now, Now, sometimes people have a tendency to phase out whenever we start reading the Bible. If you're going to phase out, phase out when me and Eli are talking and pay attention when we read the Bible, right? Uh, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Or do you not know, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, says, okay. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, so now when I hear that, I'm, I'm listening, right? Okay, what, what do you mean unrighteous? And what do you mean I want to inherit the kingdom of God? And it says, Do not be deceived, neither... The sexually immoral, okay, now there's a lot of heterosexuals who are sexually immoral. Sure. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, that's sexual immorality that can happen among uh, heterosexuals. Sure. Uh, nor homosexuals, okay, there it is, no, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk or drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were... Some of you, Paul says in verse 11, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, when, when I look at that, okay, there's, first of all, it, it seems obvious when you read that, why some Christians will say, hold on a second. If you really got saved, if you really got sanctified, you should never experience same-sex attraction again, because it says right there in verse 11 at the very beginning, such were some of you. You used to be a homosexual. You're not now. But hold on just a second. Notice the other things that are listed here. It also mentions um, the sexually immoral, which could be heterosexual, as we say, sure. adulterers, thieves, greedy, drunkards, verbal abusers, swindlers. All right, now let's just take one of those, greedy. All right. Let's say that there's a guy in Corinth and he's greedy. And then he encounters Paul or the Corinthian church in general, and he becomes a Christian. He is saved. He is gloriously saved. He lays that greediness on the altar. However you want to say it, he repents of his sin. He doesn't want to be greedy anymore. Are we to say that this person, now that they are, and again, we could say about that person, as Paul does, such were you. You used to be greedy, but now you've been sanctified. You've been justified in all these things. Are we really to say that that person will never again experience a temptation uh, to be greedy? 
Are, are we going to say about the thief that he'll never? Are we really going to say about the adulterer or the sexually immoral heterosexual person that becomes a Christian that they're never again going to be tempted by other women besides their spouse? Well, we'll consider uh, the Apostle Peter, who is clearly saved, uh, yeah. but then was corrected for his his sin by the Apostle Paul when he kind of chose uh, sides between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Right. Just because right. you're a Christian doesn't mean, you know, just because you've been washed doesn't mean you are are perfect. We still struggle with with sins. You might struggle with a particular kind of sin that I don't struggle with or vice versa. So I think that's an I think that's an excellent point using the example of of greedy because it's part of that list. We tend to focus on that's the teacher in you making that that good point there. Right, um, right. And and so when you look at homosexuals in that list and you say, okay, if that's true of all these other sins, why do I treat homosexuality like it would be different with homosexuality? The temptation for greed, the temptation for drunkenness, the temptation for adultery, the temptation for homosexuality might still be there. So then sure. in what sense is a person delivered? In what sense are they sanctified? And 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 we can really say such were you a homosexual or a or, or any of the other sins. I think the sense in which we can say this is the person who was habitually drunk or a drunkard that lifestyle has changed. Um, he may make a mistake going forward, but that's not his intent because mm -hmm. God is doing a work in him. He's got the reformer of the Holy Spirit living inside of him, guiding him and warning him when he's about to make those mistakes. So it's a now, struggle. It's a struggle, but it's not his pattern of life. That's right. Okay. Yes. And he would, and we would say that while he could get all the self-help books in Corinth and he could listen to Oprah all the time and he could do all the things to try and and, and, you know, reform himself without the Holy Spirit sure. with varying degrees of what from the earthly perspective might look like success. Nothing does it like Jesus. Nothing does it like the spirit that changes a man that does the Romans 12 two thing of of uh, where you're not conformed to the world, but you're transformed um, and by the renewing of your mind. So so now I want to be cautious to say that. I have known people, and I believe it is the case because God can do it if he wants to, that God could supernaturally deliver someone from even the temptation such that now they are heterosexual. Mm -hmm. What I can't do is guarantee that that will happen for any particular person because I think based on what we have from Paul, we don't have that guarantee in Scripture. Sure. We don't have the guarantee that God is going to do that. And to the point that we were discussing just before this one that kind of led into this one, where you said, are you, are you really saying that God might allow someone to have a struggle or something like that in order to glorify himself or, or to sanct in a process of sanctification? Sure. Well, we don't know exactly what it was. It could have been a physical ailment, could have been a, some sort of a temptation. But Paul certainly mentions, again, to the Corinthian church, um, I can't, it's in chapter 12, but I can't remember ever remember if it's 1 Corinthians 12 or 2 Corinthians 12. But he says um, that, that he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, and he prayed none less than the apostle Paul prayed three times. Second, second Corinthians chapter 12, verses seven through 10. If anyone wants to look that up. So second Corinthians chapter 12, verses seven through 10. I think that's a, that's an important example because it shows the great apostle Paul yeah. had his own struggles uh, and the response that God gives him uh, in his request to remove that struggles, I think is a very, is a very important thing to read because you know, sometimes God does leave us in in those in those places of struggle so that his strength can be made known in our lives. But go ahead. Oh, that you made the point exactly that if none less than the Apostle Paul prayed for a particular struggle, whether that was a physical thing or a sinful thing uh, sure. to be removed from him and it wasn't, 
then we have no such guarantee that we will be delivered from a temptation toward any particular sin that we might experience. Um, and so, you know, again, I, I do think that God has done and can do that for people. I don't want to take that away. I don't want to in any sense limit God. And if I was a person struggling with this, I would absolutely be praying that God would supernaturally do that sure. for me. There's just not necessarily a guarantee that he will. And I think that's important to know. And that. I don't think people should be discouraged of the fact that God may not remove that. I think the thing to to glory in and to relish in is that Paul says such were you you use that verse to make a point that some people use that verse to say hey once you're saved you know you shouldn't be exhibiting any of these things because such were some of you um, now of course that's an incorrect understanding of that of that passage and how salvation and sanctification works but what an amazing truth that such were some of them. In other words, it's not impossible for God to do those things. Uh, it, it, we can use all of the Christian cliches in this example, and it would be completely worth saying them all, that nothing is impossible with God. And so I would encourage people to uh, to hold on to those truths. Even if he doesn't remove it, nothing is impossible for God. He can still give us the strength to endure um, what would appear to us as an impossible situation. You know, how am I going to live my life this way? How am I going to uh, maintain my relationships? How am I going to go out there and make a difference in the world when I have this thing in my life? God can use you even in the midst of that. So I think that's a, that is, a, I think a good verse to be encouraged by. Uh, yeah. And, and you know what, uh, Eli, to that point, Sure. Um, I recently had Christopher Yuan on my, Dr. Christopher Yuan on our show. And mm -hmm. he is a person who, um, was, was, was active in the gay community. Um, mm -hmm. and was, uh, he said he had multiple partners every day. Now, obviously that's not, that's not everyone that may not even, I mean, I'm sure that's not even your typical person who's homosexually active, but at the same time he was, and, um, and he said on my show this, and I thought it was great. He was talking about whether God might supernaturally, uh, make you heterosexual versus, uh, that might not happen. He said, look, that really, the point is it's all about identity. Um, my identity was bound up in being a gay man. And he mm -hmm. said, um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people who, who come out of that, their identity is in being a heterosexual man. He says, you know something, God didn't say be heterosexual as I am heterosexual. He said, be holy as I am holy. Right. right. And so the identity we have is in, is in our God in Christ and we're to be holy. That's the goal, whether you're experiencing same-sex attraction or not, whether you are supernaturally transformed um, in terms of your sexual desire or not, what you're striving for is holiness and being what God wants you to be and being like God. And I know that's a tall order for someone struggling with this particular sin. Sure. I want to stop you there for a moment because this is, is what I've, I've heard this in my own interactions with people who've approached me and, and asked for guidance. It seems to be the case that a lot of people tie homosexuality with their identity such that um, to fight against this same-sex attraction, they need to deny who they are. Why don't you unpack that for us from a biblical perspective? Why is that an inappropriate way to view the situation? You know, I'm denying who I am. Um, what does the Bible say about how we should be how we should deny who we are in one context? And why is that the kind of a, a, a wrong-headed thing to do is to identify oneself to the same-sex attraction that a person's experiencing? Right. So um, in one sense, it seems intuitive to include our sexuality um, as a part of our identity. I mean, um, obviously, we're not talking about, you know, 
sexual activity here. But think of Teresa. Now, neither you nor I are Catholic, but let's just put that aside for a moment. Mother no, Teresa, thirsty Protestant. You don't want to make that. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. But Mother Teresa, um, th we think of her as Mother Teresa. There's a maternal aspect to who she is. Her sexuality is bound up in that. She's a woman. It's a maternal approach. Now, that's not sexuality in the sense of sexual gratification or sexual desire. It's more about her role as a mother-like, a maternal-like figure. Um, her sexuality is important to how we conceptualize and how people looked to her. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I, don't, I don't make that point to say anything about sex qua sex. What I'm saying here is our sexuality, it's natural to think of our sexuality sometimes as a part of our identity. The problem is that when, uh, when our sexuality doesn't reflect what God's design for us was and who we are supposed to be in him, then it, it, then it can, if we continue to hold that as a central part of our identity, it can mar our identity in a way that is unintended. Mm -hmm. the, the, the pattern that Jesus points to and Paul points to, and of course that we have in Genesis, is in the beginning, he created the male and female. Now, I've pointed this out, and this sounds incredibly politically incorrect to say, uh, but we're in this deep. And, and I, again, my heart goes out to anyone dealing with this. I'm not saying anything to hurt you. But, um, you know, in Romans chapter one, again, to make a different point from Romans chapter one, verse 20, uh, Paul says the invisible things of God, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now, he's talking there about idolaters being without excuse. Uh, for idolatry when they should be able to look at the created world around them and see that the best explanation is a God made all of this, right? That's, that's what they should be able to see. But it also teaches that, that some of his, some of the, some of the things we can know about God from looking at creation. Well, one of the things we can know about God is what his intention was uh, for mankind in terms of sexuality, because without being too explicit, if you simply look at physiologically, the structures of men and women, it's clear to see what the maker, what the, you don't even have to have ever seen a Bible to look at the design sure. of man and woman and see what the designer had in mind. And so your sexuality, uh, not a, perhaps not a lot of Christian leaders would say this, but I'll say it. Your sexuality may well be a part of your identity, but it needs to be sexuality, a, a conception of your sexuality that's grounded in what God wants for you. Mm. Now, obviously, beyond that, in an Ephesians 1 sort of way, if you're in Christ, your identity is in Christ. Your identity is bound up in who he is. He's right. the one you represent. And so I think those two points that, sure, your sexuality might be a part of your identity, but it needs to reflect what God wants for sexuality. Mm. Um, and, 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 if, and then in a grander sense, and obviously a more important theological sense, um, your identity is in Jesus. That's mm. where your identity is. All right. Well, real quick, I just want to make a quick little point here. Um, those who are listening, um, if you have any questions that you want uh, Braxton and I to address, uh, you can um, put them in the chat, um, preface it with questions so we can differentiate your question from um, comments and other discussions that may be going on in the chat. Um, so definitely uh, feel free to do that. We'll try our best to address uh, whatever questions you might have to the best of our ability. Um, and if I don't know the answer, I'll just punt it over to Braxton. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So you're talking about what the Bible has to say with respect to uh, God's order of things, right? That there, he has a specific purpose in creating man and, and, and woman. Um, even just physiologically speaking, it obviously is, you know, it's obvious how this stuff is supposed to work. Right. 
Um, but let, let's, let's grant all that, you know? Yeah, I agree. Say, say I'm someone who's, I'm a Christian struggling with homosexual, uh, same sex attraction. And I say, fine, I know what the proper, um, context of all this is supposed to be, but I don't, I'm not attracted to women. It's like, I get what you're saying, Braxton, but like, talk to me now. Like, how do I deal with the fact that I know what's right, but the, I have these strong proclivities, these strong attractions that I just can't, I can't get rid of. I, I don't know what to do. How would you, what would you, how would you point that person in the right direction in terms of external help and internal reflection, how they're to navigate this? Well, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, the most, I think one of the most important things for anyone who wants to be faithful to, to God, which is kind of how you've shaped this up. We're not imagining someone who's, who doesn't believe, uh, or who is an atheist or something. It seems like you're honing in on someone who wants to be faithful to God, yes. but is experiencing this struggle. And for such a person, I think whatever is going on, whether it has nothing to do with sexuality and someone's experiencing doubt, whether it's uh, another kind of sin, I think one of the most important things people can do three things and, and probably in this order of importance. Number one is, well, I, I can't, I can't rate the order of importance here. Prayer and, and Bible study obviously is important. Wait, wait, a, second, more, wait a second. Wait a second. You mean okay. the generic, how, what do I have to do to get closer to God? Pray yeah. and read the Bible. Like those cliche answers are actually well, true. <laughs> well, first of all, I was about to say, and much more practically, you okay. should get involved in some kind of a small group sure. or a community of faith with people that really do care about you. Sure. Um, that That is a practical thing. We'll come back to that. But let's go back to what you just said for a moment about that sounding like kind of a Sunday school answer. Like, oh, you obviously pray and read the Bible. You know, um, anything that's worth doing is going to take a little work a lot. I mean, at least most of the time, uh, several years ago, and I need to do this again, I lost about 50 pounds, 45, to 50 pounds. And people ask me, how did you, how did you do that? What's your secret? What's the super secret thing that, that you've got it that you just let me in on. And I said, uh, uh diet and exercise. <laughs> you, know, you, didn't, you didn't hire Jonathan Pritchett to be your no. drill sergeant for a month. <laughs> no, just, okay. just diet, just diet and exercise. Uh, take the fork out of your mouth. You know, that, okay. that was the, that was the thing. Well, nobody likes that because right, because that's, they already knew that. And if they would have done that, then it would have worked. Right. That's kind of how it is with prayer and Bible study, frankly. But, uh, but I do think it, the, the more practical, well, the more practical, the more, um, satisfying, perhaps something that you maybe haven't thought of as much. Um, there, there's a journal article from the, um, the journal for the scientific study of religion. Okay. And, um, I used this, uh, last year sometime with respect to doubt, but when someone is experiencing doubt, for example, um, which is not what we're talking about here, but when someone is, uh, they're 80% more likely, if I remember the study correctly, they're 80% more likely to remain in the church if they have a support group of believers around them to love on them, to offer them resources, to pray with them, those sorts of things. Sure. Now, I just have to believe that's the same for someone who's struggling with an issue like this, that, that if you have a support group around you, a community of believers who will pray with you, read the Bible with you, um, those kind of things. I, I just I just think that that will be absolutely incredibly helpful. And so that's an obvious thing that someone can do. And can do right now. If you're not doing that and you're struggling with this, do that. I'll return to that point because I I, I want to hear what you have to say next, but I also want to to tackle the issue of what if a person who's struggling with this doesn't have that kind of support group. So for example, someone says, um, you know, I can't tell anyone because I know the people around me, like they will not be accepting of it or they won't understand. 
or they'll say, oh, look, there must be sin in your life. You know, it, we'll, we'll talk about that, but finish your thought and then maybe we can return to that. Cause I think, yeah, I, I think that's my point was made there, but, um, yeah, on that point, uh, f first of all, um, our friends, it, it may actually surprise the person to find out how many people they would expect would be hostile toward them or critical and mm -hmm. how loving those people might actually be. I remember, uh, every year this was starting in 2001 and think about now how far back that seems. Sure. Um, but in 2001, wow, that's uh, when I graduated high school. <laughs> yeah. Back when dinosaurs yeah. were on the earth, but go ahead. It's like, I heard someone say the other day, like, think about the nineties. Cause you and I were like teenagers in the nineties. It's like, yes. think about the nineties to talk about the nineties. Now would have been like someone in the nineties talking about the sixties. Just think about that. <laughs> That's insane. Yes. If you think about it, dude, we're old, bro. I know. I know. I have, you're, you have no hair. I have gray hair. I don't know if you could see it. I got like the salt and pepper action going on. <laughs> oh man. Wow. When you put it in that context, that actually makes it rough, me man. Isn't it? It's rough right now. So but <laughs> Our uh, next it'll be about how to cope with depression and, and, uh, uh, what is it? The midlife crisis. Yeah. Aging gracefully. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, what was I talking about? Yeah. 2001. So okay. in 2001, uh, I became a pastor okay. and, uh, and, and began going to the Southern Baptist conventions annual meeting okay. every year. How, and, how, you know, the Southern how Baptist old? convention meets. What's that? How old were you when you became a pastor? 20. <laughs> oh my I, was, I was probably too young to pastor, but I don't think I hurt anybody. Okay. <laughs> I didn't hurt anybody. So <laughs> 20 years old. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. And so, uh, but, uh, so we, we, I started going every year to the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting that would meet in okay. big cities all over, you know, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Orlando, places like that. Sure. And wherever they would go, there was a particular, um, LGBT group and I can't remember the name of the group now, but they, they would organize and they would line up across the street from all these bigoted Southern Baptists in the Southern Baptist Convention and hold signs up and, and, uh, you know, protesting the convention because of our views on biblical sexuality. Sure. And I, I think they, I think they likely thought, and I even heard some of them say that their suspicion was that these Baptists would be harsh toward them, that they would, you know, that they would respond and, you know, come out and preach at them and all those kind of things. What happened almost every year was that these pastors who had come from their church in the sticks somewhere, some little church in Podunk, Alabama, had come to the Southern Baptist, and this pastor would go over there and take bottles of water and and say, "Can I do anything for you? It's hot out here. You're out here all day. You know, I, here's a fried chicken sandwich. It's not from Chick Fil A. We promise. You know, those kind of things. I mean, that that really that really displayed some love, and I don't think those people expected that. It might surprise you. Uh, to think, to find out the very people, some of them that you may suspect would be hostile and unkind towards you or critical, they mm. might not be. But if it is the case, or if you just can't shake that possibility, and I encourage you to, to try and approach them that way, but if you just can't shake that concern, find somewhere where you can have a group like that, uh, uh, where you can find that community of faith. And if that means visiting a couple of other good Bible believing churches, then that's what that, that may be what you need to do. Um, but, but that is so crucial. Now, what if, okay. All right. So it's easy for some people. I mean, I'm a teacher, so I've had throughout the years, I've had conversations with a bunch of students who just don't like where they go to church and they'll be like, Mr. Ayala, I don't like to go to where I'm, where I, you know, where, where my parents forced me to go, but I can't go anywhere else because my 
I'm still living under my parents' roof. So, so what if we have a, a situation where you have a young, a young man or a young, a young girl struggling with this? They know that in the specific context that they're in, it's just not going to work. I mean, maybe it will, but you know, perhaps they kind of know their context and they're saying, you know, if I say something, this is really not going to go over well. How would you encourage someone who feels trapped in that sense? You know, how does someone, I mean, there's no easy answer. I mean, this is, I'm asking the question. There's not like this easy, like simple answer to give, but if someone were to pull you aside and have this personal conversation with you, um, how would you speak into that person's life who really just needs some direction when they feel trapped in the midst of this struggle? Yeah, sadly, it could be the case that there, that, that you literally have no one in your life who would see it quite the way we're describing it and, and would, and would be able to come around you and love on you that way. But I find that hard to believe if you're, if you're describing someone who's, who is in a Christian family and, and going sure. to a church of some sort, it's certainly possible, but I just, I, you know, I just find that while that is certainly possible, as I say, but the people that are adults in your life, um, they love you, they care about you. And it, it, now one thing you, you may have to prepare for is when you, when you come out to those people or tell them that you're struggling with this it may be shocking to them. And so maybe the, the hard thing for you is to really prepare yourself that the first reaction some people might give might not be their best moment, might not be their perfect. best face because sure. they're not perfect and, and either. And so, um, and then maybe, maybe realize that's going to happen. And I realize that might not be fair and, and, and all those things, but prepare yourself for that. But I think, approaching people that you know, love you and care for you, especially strong Christians has got to be the first step. And if they, and if they do treat you badly, that's not on you. That's if they say, well, this is your fault because you brought this on yourself. That that's, that's not on you. That, that re represents probably some mistaken ideas on, on, in their mind. I would encourage you with such a person. If you're that person, if the best you can do is reach out to Eli or myself, I well, that'd be perfectly fine, you know, and to the extent that we can pray with you and love on you, I'm sure that Eli and I know I would be happy to do that. Yeah. Perhaps at the end of the show, we can say a prayer for people who might be um, struggling with these sorts of things. And I say struggle. I, people say, well, why are you calling it a struggle? They should just embrace it. Well, from a Christian perspective, uh, no, we believe that practicing, um, homosexuality is not God's perfect plan. And so we definitely want to be able to approach the topic in love without compromising uh, what scripture teaches. And I think that's an important issue too, is I think a lot of people who um, experience this firsthand within their family context or really good friends, uh, sometimes they waffle on their commitment out of their strong desire to, um, to love the person they end up compromising their uh, their biblical commitments. And so I think this this topic, as sensitive, sensitive as it is, must be approached with a balance that while we want to proceed with gentleness and respect and, and an openness to really understand where someone's coming from, we want to do that while at the same time standing on, on biblical truth Absolutely. Um, and love. So I think that's an important balance to, uh, to have. Um, all right. I don't remember what I was about to say after that, but I know there was an issue I wanted to address, but maybe you remember... And well, we I don't, but I see that there's a good question from Mr. C in the chat. I don't know if you're saving questions till the end or what. 
Um, well, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to take a question now or do you want to wait till the end? It doesn't matter to me. Your show. Uh, I mean, I could just take this one real quick and because I sure. think it's relevant to what we're discussing. Okay. So let's take that question from Mr. C. Yeah. The question is, what does it mean to find identity in Christ? Great question. So, um, when we become Christians, we, we, we should recognize that we are in the body of Christ. We are in Christ in that sense. And so that means that our identity, the things that are the thing that's most important about us is that we represent Jesus and we want to be like Jesus and we want to do what Jesus wants us to do. We want to believe what Jesus believed. I mean, these are all the things that are most important. We should be, um, we should be, you know, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. My teenage years were in Nashville, Tennessee back in the nineties. They're as far back as the sixties were in the nineties. And, um, and we, on, on Broadway in downtown Nashville, we had Elvis impersonators. Their whole identity was wrapped up in trying to be like Elvis, right? They, they, they would sit, they would try to look like him. They would try to sing like him. They would try to, I mean, that is a very crude way of describing what we should be for Christ, we should try to be little Christs, right? Christians, we should be people who want to look like Jesus, act like Jesus. Now, we obviously have sinful proclivities, all of us do, but the idea is we can get very proud of certain things about our identity. Um, I was very proud to be a Nashvillian, to live in um, <laughs> the greatest city in in the world, Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, that's objectively true, I think. And I um I, I was very proud to be a Nashvillian, but I'm I'm a Christian before I'm a Nashvillian. I'm I'm a Jesus follower before I'm a, a Nashvillian. I'm a Jesus follower before I'm a, a, a particular sports team fan for people that follow sports ball games. Um, I'm a I, whatever it is before I'm an American. Before I'm an American, I am <laughs> A follower well, you got, you got of 3D Brax and it almost came through the screen there. That's right. Before <laughs> I'm a Republican, before I'm a whatever I am, before I'm a Democrat, whatever you are, I'm a Christian first. So before I'm heterosexual, before a person is homosexual, that is not the, the, the that is not what defines you. That's what's important about that. And we can get proud of who we are in these particular groups and clubs sure. and categories, but it means Look at the Bible. When I say I'm a Christian, what I'm saying to someone is look at the Bible. If you just look at the New Testament and see what it says Jesus thought and believed and said and wants for um, and thinks is should be true about us in life. Well, that's what I believe. Yeah, well, 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 Braxton, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. How about that one? Right. Jesus oh. never said the words homosexuality. You ever hear that argument? People are like, well, you want to yeah. follow Jesus. Jesus never really addressed this issue. So, you know, what gives? Well, in Luke, well, first of all, Jesus did point to um, the male and female nature of of sexual identity in the garden, right? Um, so he did speak to what God wants for this, and that's just false. But the Old Testament certainly speaks about homosexuality, um, and while we're not under Mosaic law, it gives you a principle. It, it gives you the understanding that that's not what God wants for um, for mankind to 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 uh, to engage in homosexual activity. And guess what? Jesus in Luke chapter twenty four. 44-ish, somewhere around there. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus affirms 
the uh, the law, the writings, and the prophets, which, as you know, Eli, are are three bodies of text that make up the entirety of the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus affirms that the whole Old Testament is true and that it's about him. That's about as much of an endorsement of everything in the Old Testament as you can get. And Jesus says it. So it's simply false that Jesus doesn't have anything to say about this issue. So so right there, let's take that question here by Mr. C. He's got another one here. He says, how does one pray amiss? Question, what did Jesus mean when he told the Pharisees that they were searching the scriptures errantly because they thought that in them they would have life? And of course, if he continues on with that verse, it speaks of it's those scriptures that speak of him, um, which you just touched on before. So how would you address that? Yeah. So, so first of all, the problem, one of the problems with the Pharisees is that the Pharisees thought that by um, keeping a list, keeping a, a, a list of do's and don'ts and, and yeses and no's and making sure that as best they could, they followed what the scriptures demanded, then they would therefore be right with God. They would be right with God. This would be what God, you know, now, now I'm right. Right. Um, but, but of course the thing that Jesus pushes back on and why the new Testament is not a backing off of requirements in terms of living for God. It's actually an amping up of it. It's no, no, no. This is a heart issue. So it's not just that it's wrong to commit adultery. It's that if you, if you look after a woman to lust after her, you're committing adultery. If you hate your brother, you're murdering him. It's not just don't murder your brother. What Jesus was saying, what Jesus general posture toward the Pharisees was, it's not about keeping a list of do's and don'ts or technically following every jot and tittle and therefore you're right with God. It's a heart matter. And so that's important. But also life was literally life was standing in front of them. Jesus was standing in front of him and the scriptures that they would point to were about Jesus. That's Jesus point is that it's ultimately all about me. Yeah. Um, if you keep getting preachy like that, I'm going to have to collect offering. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. We can <laughs> play just as I am without one plea. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I could sing. I'm a singer. People don't know this about me. I actually could sing. Maybe we could do a service together. Uh, Let's um, hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Not this episode. Sorry, folks. Um, all right. Okay. So I want to also address this. I, I suppose it's a little off topic, but kind of sort of isn't. Um, there's a big uh, pet peeve that a lot of people have with respect to Christians making a big deal of the homosexuality and minimizing the seriousness of other sins. Mm. So, for example, you know, you'll have Christians, you know, protest the homosexual agenda and all these sorts of things. And, and they'd be picketing outside, you know, these um, conventions and things like that. Um, all the while, not even blinking an eye at hypocrisy, at, um, you know, all other sorts of things that people do within the context of the church that doesn't get as much press, so to speak. Um, how would you address that issue? I mean, is this something that um, really Christians need to to work on? Is there a difference between those other sins and and the issue of homosexuality? How would you speak to that? Well, there's, there's a Christian myth that goes on in churches that all sins are equal. Um, right. All sins are equal in the sense that we they're all equally condemnable, you know, that, that we're, you know, death is what we reap. But at the same, you know, at the, and, and they're, they're the same in the sense that if you drop one drop of grape juice on your carpet or a gallon of grape juice on your carpet, in both cases, your carpet is now not clean. Right. So but but there's still a difference between a drop and a gallon. And with sexual sin, um, you're, you're sinning against obviously not just you're sinning against yourself, another person, and God, right? This is what scripture teaches. So with sexual sin in general, that's true. But let's think about that. I think a good way to think about this, and I've, I've thought about it and conceptualized it this way, okay. is with 
church membership. Now, you don't have to have church membership. You know, that's not necessarily something demanded in the Bible, but a lot of churches have church membership. And I think it serves as a great analogy for this, because when someone becomes a member in a local church, that church is saying about them, this person aligns with us, they align with our beliefs, um, and, and, you know, we're basically affirming generally the same things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let, let's use that as, a, as an analogy here, so, or as an opportunity for an illustration. So I don't think it's about homosexuality or it's about um, gossip or it's about adultery or liars. I think we draw, we don't draw the line at homosexuality. We draw the line at repentance. So let me let me point this out. So if, if I'm a pastor of a church and someone comes to me and they say, now, look, Pastor Hunter, I am a um, I am a liar. And I think God made me that way. Now, obviously, this would never happen. Nobody would say this, but but I think God made me that way. And I intend to go on lying. I'm proud that I'm a liar. And again, I'm not equating homosexuality with being a liar. But if someone said that to me and I'd like to become a member of your church, I would have to say that I'm sorry. I can't accept you as a member of the church because what you're telling me is you have sin in your life and you're not repentant about that sin. So I can't you can't even get saved in the state that you're describing. Uh, a saved person doesn't doesn't do that. So um, but if a liar came to me and said, now, Pastor Hunter, I struggle with lying. Now, I know that's wrong. We serve a God of truth, and it's my intention from here going forward not to do that anymore. Now, I may make mistakes going forward and lie again. I'm almost certain I will, but let me tell you, that is not my intent. My intent is not to do that, and I'm not, it's not okay that I do that. I am laying that at the foot of the cross. I would say, come on in, brother. We're all sinners saved by grace. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if you had a, a homosexual person, a person struggling with homosexuality, come in and say, uh, I'm proud of this. This is how God made me. I don't have any intention of changing. I would have to say, I'm sorry. I can't accept you as a member in the local church for the right. same reason. You're not repentant. But if a person struggling with this came to me and said, I struggle with same-sex attraction, but I, I have given my life to Christ the best I know how. I may make mistakes going forward, but that is not my intention. I am laying this at the altar. I would say, come on in, brother. Come on in, sister. We're all sinners saved by grace. The point is, we don't draw the line at a particular kind of sin. We draw the line at repentance. Hmm. So so uh, would you say, though, that the church has dropped the ball in terms of um, focusing on homosexuality as opposed to other things that are happening within the church? You know, I hear that said a lot. I, I don't think it's true that... I don't think it's true that the kinds of pastors who would preach against homosexuality boldly, like you're imagining, would sure. not also preach against all manner of sinfulness. Sure, um, you're, we're describing a very bold kind of preacher that stands on the word and preaches, you know, what it says. Um, but it could be the case that where the church has dropped the ball is that when they do get around to preaching on homosexuality, they they give the impression um, that this is some sort of uh, beyond the pale, no coming back from it. And, and this, I did want to, this actually reminds me because for the person listening that is struggling with this, I want to say you should be taking from what we're saying, which I'm very confident in what we're saying. You should be taking from what we're saying, especially first Corinthians six, nine through 11, that if you are a Christian and you find within yourself self still the temptation, it is while it is not okay for you to act on that temptation, or lustfully dwell on scenarios. Um, just because you have that struggle does not mean you're therefore not a Christian. Because sure. I can imagine that would be a plaguing concern for someone dealing with this. 
Right. Um, I think that's a, that's a great point. Now, now here's a difficult one though. So, so you, you have the person who says I'm struggling with homosexuality. I love the Lord. I want to do what's right. But does this mean I'm doomed to a single life? I mean, that's a difficult question for a lot of people. The prospect of, of you know, never being married because you think like, well, yes, God, it is possible for God to deliver me from this. But what if he doesn't? I don't know. You know, God calls some people to the single life, but I don't feel called to the single life. Like, I don't know how I'm going to survive, uh, uh, you know, in that situation. Um, how would you speak into that situation? Someone who thinks like, well, does this mean I'm I'm just going to live the single life and that's it and that's it? You know, there's a great discussion slash debate out there between James White and um, a quote unquote gay Christian. Um, again, not that you can't experience same sex attraction and be a Christian. Sure. This is a person who thinks you should act. You can act on it. And, it, you know, right. he's right. unrepentant about it. And I can't remember the guy's name is Justin or Jason something. But anyway, he had this discussion and he laid out this, I think, very well. Um, it may well be that that is the burden, that is the sacrifice that God is calling you to. Mm. Why do I say sacrifice? Some Christians think and have told me and have made videos in response to me about this issue that, um, that you should never praise people for doing what they were supposed to do anyway. In other words, for not sinning. You know, for, but I'm sorry, with this particular type of sin, it is the case that with that propensity, and if and barring God delivering them supernaturally from that temptation and making them heterosexual or something, uh, which I don't think is guaranteed, um, it, it may well be that, that they never get to biblically uh, have that sort of a fulfillment or experience that I get to as a married, straight, heterosexual, married man, and that is that is something you know that is that is a uh, that is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. And so if that's the case, I think and I'm going to get to get, I'm going to get to what James White said that I thought was so great in just a moment, but, but this is, this is what I think about this. I think that we should celebrate and champion those people in the church who have recognized that hmm. and have said, I'm going to give that up for the sake of the kingdom. As difficult as that is for them, hmm. we should rally around those people and champion them in the local church. And that goes for people with trans who are struggle with trans temptations too. Uh, I, I just think that's the right posture. I, because I mean, my goodness, we would do that for someone who got off a drug. That's not to say that people who um, overcome or make sacrifices with respect to other things shouldn't be championed as well. Absolutely. That is what I was just saying with drugs, for example, if someone right. gets off again, I'm not equating homosexuality with drug addiction or alcoholism. Sure. Sure. But someone that gives those things up, Absolutely. Celebrate recovery is actually the name of a program that they have. That's right. You know? All right. Very good. Um, all right. Well, uh, finding truth, uh, gives a $1 and 99 cents super chat. He says offering, <laughs> see, we should have took an offering. Oh, That's right. Uh, thank you so much. Finding truth. Appreciate that. By the way, he's a great guy. And I know this is your show, sure. so I hope you're okay with me saying this, but this is not Eli talking. This is me talking, but I love uh, Finding Truth's YouTube channel. I think it would be a good thing to check out. I agree. I agree. And um, by the way, you, you can feel free to advertise for anyone. I trust your uh, your judgment, except in areas of... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we, we do have some questions. So let, let's actually... Uh, oh, Jonathan Pritchett, such a generous man, gives $9. And hey, hey. Don't buy any of that overpriced iced coffee like Braxton likes to drink with this. <laughs> 
That's you like iced coffee, man. I should that that would have been a deal breaker if I knew that I wouldn't have invited you on. Well, tonight I'm drinking absolute <laughs> black hot coffee. See, now I have to say, uh, I get a little jealous when I see your logo. I love the Trinity Radio lo logo, and I'm tempted to buy myself a sweater, but my hardcore presuppositional apologetics followers and, and Calvinist followers would probably uh, go berserk if I wore a Trinity Radio uh, sweatshirt. I just think the logo is so darn cool. I'll make one for you, and, and I'll, I'll make it where it says something like presup for life or something. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally wear that. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Uh, I greatly appreciate that, man. Um, definitely want to get uh, Jonathan Pritchett back on as well. We have a great episode with him where he speaks about um, uh, getting in shape and healthy, healthy living and things like that. It definitely encouraged me when, when I had him on and I tried a lot of the things he suggested and I stopped. And so I'm back to square one. But every now and then I go back to that old episode with, with uh, Jonathan and it kind of gets me back on track. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Okay. So we have some questions. So let's move on to the question portion and then we'll wrap things up. I think this has been a really great discussion. I think you're doing an excellent job. I didn't expect anything less from you. So um, let's start backwards because if I go all the way up to the top, I might miss some stuff here. So Mr. C strikes again with another question. He says, Braxton, much of what you're saying contradicts the Calvinistic doctrine. Yours seems to be a message of tolerance with repentance. How do you reconcile that with God's sovereignty? Just as a caveat, um, I don't think that it contradicts anything uh, necessarily as, as a Calvinist myself. Um, but why don't you address that from your perspective, uh, Braxton? So, okay. So my perspective, and, th and there may be something in here where Eli and I differ on terminology a little bit. So, um, you know, this is an area where he and I have a different opinion um, sure. and yet are still brothers, still love each other very much. Um, I'm not consigning Eli to the flames and I don't think he is me. Uh, but uh, but uh, so I think that Calvinists and non-Calvinists, uh, at least of the sort that I am, have both agree that God is maximally sovereign. He could not be more sovereign than he is. Now, um, sovereignty is has a meaning. It means to be uh, someone who is a king. A, a sovereign is a king. He controls his domain. He is in authority over his domain. It's a position of authority. So uh, a sovereign on earth, obviously, is not like God, but he has a domain. A king on earth has a domain. He can step in at any time. He can dole out judgments. He can uh, reward. He can do as he pleases. These are all things the Bible says God is and God's, God does. Um, but it doesn't mean that that king necessarily... Uh, determines in, in the sense of philosophical determinism or theological determinism, everything that happens in his realm. Um, in, this, in, a, in, a, in God's case, his realm is all of the cosmos, the whole of creation. And so in, he, is, he is sovereign. He is in control. He can step in at any time. But, and I don't actually know that, that Eli would disagree with what I'm about to say here, the the question between Calvinists and non-Calvinists is not about whether God is a king and in authority and can do as he pleases right. and can dole out judgments and rewards within his realm, which is the entire cosmos. Right. It's how does he do that? That's right. And the Calvinist views that in a certain sense. The non-Calvinist views it in a different sense. But we both believe that God is king over all his realm. Now, where I did actually, when I was actually, when we were having this discussion, find myself being cautious in my terminology so that I didn't uh, say anything that I thought would directly 
be inconsistent with any particular Calvinist perspective is just in how I phrase things. So for instance, when I say, when I was talking about how God may allow someone to, uh, you know, have, have same sex attraction or whatever, and then use that as a process, a part of their sanctification. Some Calvinists would say the same thing. They would allows that to happen. And I think Eli is one of those that would say that, um, in a certain sense of allow in a, in a different sense. I think all Calvinists would have to say that in God's sovereign, um, in the way God sovereignly, sovereignly decreed all things, that was a part of it. And that's that's a that's a maybe a more directly Calvinistic way of saying it. What we would agree about is just is is that it's not a part of God's ultimate design, as was represented in the garden, mm. which is why you heard me saying that. Ultimately, I don't think we disagree about sovereignty. I think we disagree about how God exercises his sovereignty. And I don't think anything I've said is inconsistent with what a Calvinist could say about the homosexuality issue. Right. And I think it's important that you use, um, you kind of clarified that because I think a lot of people say, well, you know, Calvinists believe God is sovereign as though Arminians don't. Um, they believe in sovereignty. It's how that sovereignty is worked out, which is where we differ. When people say, well, Calvinists deny free will. Well, no, we affirm free will, but it's a particular understanding of free will. Now, you might not think that it's a legitimate version of free will that makes sense, but we still would clarify. It's how we are using these terms that I think we need to be very careful when um, explaining our positions. Now, Mr. C asked a question. Much of what you're saying contradicts the Calvinistic doctrine. Yours seems to be a message of tolerance with repentance. Um, I think that that's kind of a, uh, an interesting phrase there, as though the Calvinist uh, doesn't have a message of tolerance with repentance. I mean, I would teach tolerance and repentance while at the same time teaching that that doesn't entail that we compromise our biblical convictions on these issues. Right. So there's nothing. Amen. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, there's nothing intrinsic about Calvinism as a theological construct that would mitigate against the idea of having tolerance and preaching repentance. We preach repentance and hopefully if we're biblically consistent, we will also be tolerant within the context of biblical tolerance. So go ahead. Right. Uh, you know, back to uh, Christopher Yuan, I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but he says something like, um, um, he says something like, uh, you know, everybody's pushing for acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, I can accept you uh, without affirming all of your activities, right? right. I'm tolerant uh, in, in the sense that, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to interact with, love, have um, relationship with people who are experiencing same-sex attraction, what we're not tolerant of is sinful behavior sure. and, and not tolerant in the sense that we're, we believe the, I don't want to mean, I don't mean not tolerant in any kind of political or sense sure. like that, but I mean, not tolerant in the sense that we're not going to accept that that is biblically permissible if it's not. Right. And I think in that respect, uh, Braxton and I are equally intolerant of sinful behavior. Right. So it's not in it, it, tolerance and with repentance is not intrinsic to uh, his position and not my, I mean, we'd agree on those issues as long as we clarify our, our terms there. All right. Thank you for that, Mr. C. Um, let's see here. You said again, don't you think they're making I don't know if there's a question, but someone says, you said making them heterosexual. Don't you think that they were made heterosexual, but they struggle with homosexuality? Do you, does that make sense to you? Do you can you? Uh, well, it gives an opportunity to clarify again what we say. So, okay. um, so I think that the design that God has for mankind is heterosexual. Um, and that that is the biblically permissible within a biblical marriage. That is the biblical permission, permissible expression of sexual activity. Um, now 
when it when it comes to um the the idea of making someone heterosexual so if someone is struggling with same-sex attraction however you think it got to that point however you think they ended up with that set of desires as opposed to uh heterosexual opposite sex attraction however you think they got there whether you think that it's a part of living in a fallen world and so perhaps there is something to uh, a propensity for that with genetic uh you know, stuff like that. Or if you think it's, it's thoroughly a result of, um, nurture things that have happened in their life, or if you think that it's, and, and certainly for some people, this is definitely true for some people. I'm not saying it's true for everybody that pushing the bar of pornography and things like that further and further, uh, got them to this point. However, you think they got to this point. Um, the idea that God would supernaturally turn that all around and make them, uh, and kind of reset the system such that they're uh, heterosexual in terms of orientation. is That's what we're referring to. Um, I'm open to the idea that because we live in a fallen world, it could be that someone is born with a predisposition toward homosexuality, just as people are born with all manner of things that don't necessarily reflect God's design mm. in the garden. All right. Thank you, Luke. I know Luke. So hello, Luke. <laughs> Thanks for that question. Hey, Luke. Or statement or whatever that is. Okay. Um, so we have a question from Patrick, Patrick. Um, I can't pronounce that. Can you pronounce that? Maybe I'll let you butcher it instead of me, Patrick. I'm just going to say Hisu. Hisu. I mean, you, when I say something like that, like the H is silent and then you pronounce the, you know, whatever. Okay. So here's a question. My friend at church came out as gay. The pastors are prohibiting him from serving at church at any capacity. He plans to leave the church. What should I say to him? Hmm. Um, well, so, so that we don't have all the information that it would be good to have to really advise on this. So for example, I wonder if you, I'm assuming from the way this is said that your friend who came out as gay actually is of the opinion that there's nothing wrong with, with a uh, homosexual lifestyle. Um, it, it, perhaps he doesn't think that the Bible speaks to this or doesn't care or, um, perhaps he thinks that he can be a Christian and I, I don't, I just don't know, but if it's the case that, that he, that he does not think that homosexuality is something that God is dis homosexual activity is something that God is displeased with. Well, then, then that would be the place to start is, is to start ministering to him with respect to that. And of course that's a difficult thing to do, but that may be what you need to do. Um, if he does recognize that it is not biblically permissible and he submits to that, he recognizes that. Um, this is something that he has temptation toward, but he, he needs to give that up for the kingdom. Well, then in such a case, I don't think he would have any problem understanding that, uh, that serving in the church might, would, would send the signal or could send the signal. This is probably what his pastor is concerned about. Sure. It's in the signal that, um, that, uh, this is something that their church affirms as a lifestyle or an activity. Hmm. So I think the most important thing to find out is what is, what is his opinion, um, or her opinion, about uh, whether this is a something that's okay, mm. oh, and by which I, I mean pleasing to God. Sure. Um, so that that would be an important thing to know. There. Broader context would be necessary to address that question in more detail, though. Thank you. Um, Janice Yohanan says, "What would you say to people who say that in First Corinthians six nine through ten, the word homosexuals originally meant pedophilia and was then introduced in later translations?" 
Yeah, so there's two words, arsenicoitai and malakoi, and it Watch your mouth. no bad words on this channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so arsenicoitai and malakoi, both of those are um uh, are, are show up and there's a question there about there is debate among some scholars about that. Um, ben Witherington does great work on this in his book on first his commentary on First Corinthians. Uh, perhaps Dr. Pritchett, who's in the chat, if he's still there, can put the name of that um, of that book in there. But uh, but he, he has a great breakdown of this. But ultimately, what it comes down to is what someone's wanting to argue there is that what's being forbidden is pederasty or some sort of a pedophilic sort of a relationship. Um, but, but that's not the best understanding of this. And it's not the best understanding of the spread of Paul's views on homosexuality as given, uh, in the new Testament. For example, um, if you let scripture interpret scripture and you, and you say, if we were able to grant here that that's, what's being described in this passage, that, that would not, that would not seem to sit well with what Paul says in Romans chapter one, which we discussed earlier, which doesn't specify any sort of particular relationship, but actually describes simply the act itself. So I think, I think that's, uh, I think that speaks to that. Well, um, yeah, good. Um, Chris, block. <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm just going to say block black with the H I've never heard it spelled that way. I've seen it spelled that way. Uh, the question is pride seems to be a prominent secondary sin that comes from the homosexual community. Could that pride be something foundational to the individual's issue with sexual identity? Okay, so um, before I answer that, let me just say what I just said. I actually give all the quotes, data, references, and all of that in my own video specifically on the topic of homosexuality on Trinity Radio. So if someone wants to search Trinity Radio or Braxton Hunter and homosexuality, they'll find that video. It's got a big rainbow flag on it and me, and you can click that and and, and I'll give it all there. Now on this question, what uh, let's be as charitable as we can here. That could well be the case because we do find those things sometimes running together in scripture. Um, but, but I think what I'm comfortable saying here is that Anytime a particular group feels marginalized because of a particular thing that they're involved in or, or, or about them, um, it, it will some and they and they strongly disagree. That can result in a sort of uh, what they consider to be probably a righteous indignation, which displays as pride. So, for example, uh, if I was if I if if it was politically correct to discriminate against bald men right now. And bald men were having trouble getting jobs. Bald men were not being accepted in membership in churches. Bald men were having all these kind of problems. You might have a large number of bald men and perhaps some bald women uh, form a parade and form some clubs and groups talking about how we're proud bald men. I think, in fact, my Twitter handle does say that I'm a proud bald man. But um, so, so I think when, when people feel discriminated against, pride tends to bubble up in the midst of, of the response. Now, that doesn't mean that it's okay, and particularly when someone's proud of something that is unbiblical, uh, that's particularly problematic. So, But, but I think that's a, a way to look at it. Throughout history, when people are denigrated because of a particular thing about themselves, the response seems to be a quite proud one. Hmm. All right, thank you for that. The Lost Fountain says, I think we all have leanings, struggles, weaknesses, but I've struggled with lustful leanings towards women. I would consider it equal to homosexuality. Not a question, but how would you speak to that? Yes, I think this is actually a good point because, um, and, I, and I think there's a point that needs to be made that, look, um, I actually know what it's like to have a sec have sexual desires 
that it is not biblically permissible for me to gratify, right? Many men struggle with pornography. Many men struggle with lust toward women that they're not married to. And technically, I'm not, well, technically, clearly, I'm not allowed to be sexually active with the vast majority of women on planet Earth. In fact, I can only be sexually active with one woman, and her name is Sarah Hunter, right? So in that sense, I can sympathize with with uh, someone struggling with same-sex attraction, like yeah. our friend here, The Lost Fountain, says, because I, th- I have something that, while not entirely the same. Now, I would say that the, the difference there is that you, The Lost Fountain, if you're heterosexual, um, do have an outlet for this in biblical marriage, if, if that's the way God leads. Um, and it, it sounds like, you know, Paul says in first Corinthians chapter seven, um, if you're going to burn in the flesh, then you should marry. So it sounds like you're the type of person that would burn in the flesh. So it sounds like you should marry. So at least you do have an outlet for this where a homosexual individual doesn't, by the way, I wanted to go back to the James white thing. I wanted to talk about real quick. This prompted me. James, you white, really like James white, you're a big fan of James white. I'm love sure James white, huge fan. Um, what, what, uh, well, that's not, that's actually true. But, um, but what James white, uh, said about this was. It could, it, it could be now, now the danger with, cause you were asking about is a person destined for singleness in such a case. Yeah. And, um, and that could be that, that really could be on the other hand, it could be that this individual ends up marrying an opposite sex partner. And, uh, and, and maybe that's a, a maybe that's a relationship that involves sexual, sexual activity. Maybe it's not, maybe uh, it, it, but the, but the other person, the, the person that the, that you're marrying in such a case should be very clear about the whole arrangement, the whole situation, uh, because it would be unfair to, to marry someone with the understanding that you're heterosexual and you're going to act heteros in a, you're going to be sexually active heterose- in a heterosexual way. Uh, but if, if God provided such a person that could be a great companion for you, then that would be, I don't see a problem with that. Likewise, and this this James White mentioned as well, it could well be that a homosexual man and perhaps a, like a gay man and a lesbian woman who are both wanting to please the Lord and are great friends might choose to go through life together, sharing the battle that way. Hmm. So that probably isn't as satisfying as, as one would like, and one might even view that as still remaining single in a sense. Sure. But that may be the way it is. Hmm. Uh, someone, I don't know if it's a question, but I think it's a... Um... I think we're dressed to the issue of burning with lust. And Paul says it's better for you to get married. Um, Hervey Schmervy says, uh, would it be bad to marry just for sex then? So for example, like, Hey, I feel like I'm burning in lust. And so I really should get married, married so that I don't sin. And so someone just looks to marry someone so that they can just release their, you know, their sexual proclivities and, and things like that. Yes, that would be bad to marry just for sex. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong for uh, sexual desire to be a part of it. Um, obviously, that's a beautiful thing that God created that is experienced in marriage. And um, it, and so that certainly can be a consideration. Uh, it has to be a consideration if we're going to be biblically faithful, because Paul says, you, if you're going to burn in the flesh, marry, right? So, yeah. so uh, but that, but, but I mean, look, Hervey Schmervy. Uh, I know Hervey Schmervy. He comes on our channel quite a bit. Okay. Um, but, but you can, you, you may have to spend some time uh, uh, and prayerfully considering who God would have for you. What, what man, uh, I guess I'm assuming you're a man, uh, what woman God would have for you. 
but that would be worth that investment. Um, but yeah, I don't think we should marry just for sex. Right. Um, Jonathan says here he is slaving away at his desk at Trinity. <laughs> Occasionally Braxton lets me go home and see my family while he plays on YouTube. <laughs> is that true? Do you, do you keep Jonathan slaving away at his desk? What's up with that, man? Well, from eight o'clock in the morning, central time till five, we actually have these, these, um, we, we have some resistance. He loves resistance bands. Well, we actually have some, they're made of metal and they're chained to his desk and they're chained to his foot. So, um, we've just been trying to go along with his workout routine and also making sure that he stays where he's supposed to be. That's very good. Very good. Well, that was the final question in the chat. Uh, this was very helpful to me. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be helpful to other people. If, if folks who are listening, find this information useful, please uh, share the video, um, subscribe for future videos. If you like the content on this channel and definitely check, uh, Trinity radio, uh, the YouTube Trinity radio, um, his, uh, Braxton's channel, um, where he deal. Well, why don't you unpack a little bit, just very briefly, uh, what your channel is all about? Cause I think it's, it's also one of my favorite channels actually. Thank you, Eli. And, and I think that's how we first met was that you, you reached out to me that way. Right. Um, you know, our channel is primarily geared toward Christian apologetics, which is that discipline of defending the truth of the, of the Christian message. You know, in first Peter three fifteen, Peter encourages us to be ready and willing always to give an answer, um, to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within. So, uh, uh, we want to do that, but we also want to honor the first part of that verse that says, sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. So uh, we try to do that. We are interested in evangelism, ultimately reaching people with the message of the gospel that they would become Christians. But it's an apologetics channel. So we're responding to atheists. We're often listening to their uh, videos and giving feedback because YouTube is dominated by skepticism and atheism. And so there's a lot of that on there. Uh, but but there's you know there's also some stuff that's theological content as well. Ninety sure. percent uh, of what we do, I think I think uh, uh, Eli would would agree with because there's only a small percentage of things that we disagree with, and those don't come up very often on my channel. But uh, I would love it if you check it out. Now again, I, I think you should share this video around if if uh, it would be helpful. But I also uh, think that for some of the detailed information. Uh, ch just search my name and homosexuality. You'll find a video there that I made a couple of years ago that I think is, um, is great. Sometimes when I'm talking to you, Eli, because we're friends, I get boisterous and I get direct about what I'm saying. Whereas there, I, I try to be really, uh, really sympathetic and really careful because I imagined that people might share that video around with friends sure. dealing with this. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I particularly appreciate your response videos. I think you do an excellent job uh, critiquing. Even my my precept uh, precept apologetics friends can learn uh, from Braxton's uh, what I would call kind of an internal critique. Uh, so uh, of atheistic uh, perspectives going around on YouTube. So uh, definitely you can find great value in the content, even if you don't share some of the apologetic and theological convictions that Braxton and, and uh, Jonathan, when he's on there, um, do. So definitely check out Trinity Radio. Guys, I just want to really thank all the supporters and subscribers. Um, so far, we have 2,370-something subscribers. I can't see the specific number, uh, but I am greatly appreciative of, appreciative of those who have supported the channel, whether it's financially or just by their subscription. Um, it's definitely encouraging and is inspiring to continue on and get content that I think is going to be helpful and beneficial for people. Um, I'm going to be having uh, Brian Knapp from Choosing Hats on next Tuesday.
Tuesday, I believe. If you don't know what Choosing Hats is, uh, I, I don't know if they're adding new content, but it was kind of a, a big deal back in the day. It was the website to go to to learn presuppositional apologetics. But Brian Knapp was a, the co-founder of Choosing Hats, and so we're going to have him on to discuss everything presup. So if you have more questions that perhaps we haven't addressed in a past video on presuppositional apologetics, you definitely want to catch that um, next Tuesday um, at 9 p.m. Eastern. Also, I will be having Dr. Michael Icona on in May. Um, I have not set a date, literally just touched base with him today. Um, we'll be setting a date and we'll uh, talk about something relating to the resurrection. So definitely look out for, um, for that. Um, I think that's it. Uh, last point, if you are interested in learning presuppositional apologetics, you can visit revealedapologetics.com and sign up for Presup University, Presup U, um, and you could take an entire course. Uh, if you sign up for the course, uh, there, there's a date there. It looks like kind of like, um, like a semester date from this date to that date. Don't pay attention to that. If you sign up uh, now or anytime, uh, you'll get the content, the lectures, uh, the outlines, the PowerPoint slides, and you can work at it on your own pace. So you definitely can do that anytime. Uh, it would support the ministry and definitely I think you guys would benefit from it um, as well. Well, uh, that's all for today. Thank you so much, Braxton, for coming on. You did an excellent job. Uh, you got you got a perfect score. I was grading you the entire time. Awesome. And Thank uh, you. It's always helpful to hear what you have to say. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And I'm probably going to sign up for your pre-sup class. Oh, well, oh, well, thanks a lot. I'm pretty sure you won't. But hey, it's all good. Thank you very much. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much, guys, for listening in. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions or ideas that you'd like me to cover in an episode or perhaps in a blog article on my website, uh, you can reach out to me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. You can check out the blog at revealedapologetics.com. That's the website. And there is also um, a menu there where you can choose to sign up for Presup U, which is an online course that I teach that teaches presuppositional apologetics. So you can check that out at revealedapologetics.com. If you have questions, revealedapologetics at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not already. Also, I would greatly appreciate if you are really finding the content useful that you leave a positive comment uh, in iTunes. That definitely helps and it's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless.